We're born into our names, but we become family by heart. I'm Dustin Gruss, public speaker and family transition coach. When my wife and I found out in the beginning of 2016 that we weren't going to be able to have our own biological children just seven months into our marriage, we were shook. Little did we know what lied ahead through our journey of infertility, foster care, and where we are now having recently adopted our two beautiful boys. What we do know is every little bit of help we got along the way was priceless. And that's what we can expect with this podcast. Stories of inspiration and resources to lead you through that journey. From the heartbreak of infertility to the hope and blessings that come with foster care and adoption. We may have different stories, backgrounds, and names, but we're all family here. This is Family by Heart. What's up, family? Welcome to another episode of Family by Heart. I'm your host, Dustin Gruss. I am very excited to have our guest with us today. Uh, he's a host of Rose from Concrete podcast. Uh, he's a co-author of Redefining Normal and co-creator of the Rose Empowerment Group and the Scholarship Expert. Uh, and we'll go over each of those. I'm not going to go too much detail. We'll go over each of those. But what comes before all this and made it possible was his and his wife's experience growing up and overcoming many challenges and experiences in the foster system. My guest today is Justin Black. Justin, thank you so much for coming on today. How you doing, Dustin? It's a privilege and honor to be able to talk to you. Uh, the, the honor is all mine, honestly. I, it's, I'm doing good today. Um, so glad to have you on. I actually found you on the uh, networking uh, site, Audrey, for podcasts like a while ago. And like I saved you, I'm like, okay, once I get this podcast going a little bit, I, I definitely want to talk to you. Uh, and that was before I even read your guys' book. And then I, I one night I was on like uh, uh, Amazon Kindle, like buying binge and, and yours was one of the first ones I read. And like, soon as I got through, I believe like two or three chapters, I'm like, I have to talk to them. Like, and we're definitely going to dive into your book today. It was uh, it was incredible. So uh, again, the honor is all mine. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, now you're from Detroit. You grew up in Detroit, correct? Yep, from Detroit, Michigan. Born and raised, and uh, yeah, that's where I'm from. All right. Well, Cleveland, Ohio. I won't hold that against you. So <laughs> uh, you know, no we'll, we'll worries, try not no talk about that. You know, your your Tigers are taking it to my Guardians this week, but uh, but it's it's all good. Um, now you've been doing a lot of, uh, speaking and advocating and another one of my like favorite motivational speakers is from Detroit as well. And that being E.T. Eric uh -huh. Thomas. Yep. Um, it, have, is he someone that you listened to a lot growing up or someone you listen to now? Have you had the opportunity to meet him at all? Cause I, I feel like you guys would connect over your love for Detroit and, and your experiences and everything. No, I wish I had a chance to meet him, and I'm sure our paths will cross eventually. Um, I've had friends who met people, some of his friends and people he knows, so I'm sure our paths will cross eventually. But growing up, uh, I think in, in high school, around high school, like ninth or 10th grade is when I first heard of Eric Thomas and uh, grown familiar with him, you know, just his story and 
the impact of his words, you know, when to succeed mm-hmm. as bad as you want to breathe. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. that's dedication right there. And uh, I, even when I first heard of him, I, I didn't exactly, you know, want to. I didn't think of myself as a speaker. And still to this day, I don't think of myself primarily as a speaker. I, 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 it's hard to say my primary role or what I identify as. But for me, I would like to put, you know, maybe author as one of the things at the top because of my love of writing and my love of communicating. And um, yeah, I first heard of Eric Thomas in like one of my media classes. We used to always watch his speeches and everything and just how, how magnifying it was. It was just amazing. So definitely inspiring me. And um, I think even though my style of speaking is slightly different, I think he is very intense. He talks to a lot of football teams and and people in the sports arena and different things like that. But uh, I think my style is a bit different in my approach. But I think when you think of slogans like succeed as bad as you want to breathe, I've always wanted to have an impact, like the impact that gives people and how that inspires people. I always wanted to inspire people in in a similar fashion, maybe differently, but in, in a similar fashion with something, a slogan or a word or something I'm doing or something that I say. So, Absolutely. Now, I, I think inspiration is definitely a word that comes to mind uh, when it comes to yours and Alexis's book. Now, on your webpage for redefining normal uh you have a review calling it honest and raw heart-wrenching and necessary and i would add to that i believe it's all those things but i would to that brings hope and inspiration because what you guys experienced listening to your stories or reading your stories um to now seeing like by the end of the book where you were at and then seeing on social media the things that you guys are doing, um, the fact that you just uh, had wrote for an article for uh, a publication um, that I know that was just popped up on your social media today. I mean, that's an honor. And that's, again, speaking to your being an author and your love for, for writing and stuff. Um, I think inspiration and hope is definitely two of the things I would add to that review. And I, I imagine there was more to that testimony review that person wrote, but um, those are definitely words I would use to describe it. Uh, thank you. Um, I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, now, can you describe what the book covers and then what made you decide to write it, especially a first book together where there could be creative differences between you and Alexis? Yeah, definitely. So one of the, the biggest influences of us writing this book came from, I think we just started to, a large theme throughout our conversations and us getting together as two former foster youth was how much trauma came from our background and our, our peers and other people around us and how, you know, when my mom and dad came together, some of the trauma and things that was passed down to us was so normalized and how they created an environment where they set the standard, they set the culture, and they, what the things that my mom and dad did together, what they created, I can see the 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 ideas that they had being passed down to my my nieces and nephews, which is their grandchildren. So mm-hmm. how deep does uh, uh how deep does it go when two people come together and what beyond just creating children, just the ideas that they establish 
the the ideas that they establish, the culture that they establish, how deep rooted is that beyond just them and how far does it go? And a lot of times that deep root, those deep rooted conversations and ideas and culture is a lot of times unhealthy. So those are just a lot of just regular conversations that me and Alexis were having before even we even thought of a book and just how, wow, our, the kids around us, they see this, they see that, and they don't even think twice about it. But now that we're removed from some of those situations, some of those environments, we, we're from the outside looking in and how crazy it can look, you know, being in that environment. So we wanted to write uh, uh, something about that dynamic and how me and her, we never really had so many positive examples growing up. And it was the book was originally going to be focused on relationships and kind of the things I just explained. But even deeper than that, how these practices and ideas and the culture is passed down generationally, how generational trauma can become normalized and how it was normalized in our life and in our family. That's why we had to go through the process of redefining normal. Because, you know, our normal was made up of things, of ideas, of habits, of practices that wasn't healthy or conducive for us, either ourselves, those around us, or our children that we will have one day. So we had to go through the process of redefining normal. And the purpose of writing this book, creating a company, redefining normal that we have now, is to teach other people, challenge other people, and implement ideas into their life that would challenge their normal and help them redefine normal in either a complete 180 or maybe one aspect of their life, just the way they communicate with their partner, their definition of love, how they go about building relationships and so many things of that nature. Absolutely. And I think one thing you could see throughout the the book and your guys' um, lives, and even now I'm, you're making, I'm sure you're making small shifts and stuff. And, and while you talk about making that 180 shift, um, I feel like, and uh, tell me if you agree with this, that for you guys to get to where you are, it was a lot of small steps. Like, yes, there were very traumatic things that you guys experienced in, in your lives growing up, but to heal from each of those, it was more of a small step versus like suddenly, okay, I'm just turning around right now. Like it's, you know, can you explain like what that, how you guys found that process to be? Yeah, of course. So a lot of people always ask us that when we talk to different adults, foster parents and advocates of what was that moment, just that moment where the light bulb went off or whatever. And I think having that perspective can sometimes be dangerous because if if the youth that you're working with and the people that you're interacting with, they don't have that moment, you know, that moment that just turned, they can complete do a 180, then sometimes we're disappointed. We have harsh expectations, but a lot of times there will be mistakes along the journey, but there's different steps that you could take, different small steps that you can take along the journey that will help you out. And that's where the things get a little bit difficult where trying to support people and be there for people. It's like you have to have patience, have mercy because they will make mistakes, but are you getting 1% better each and every day? And it's not to say that, you know, people who I've heard of stories who people who are addicted to drugs and they made a complete 180 one day and just said, I'm not doing this anymore. And they never touched a bottle of alcohol or any drugs again, ever again in their life. But for most people, we need to take it step by step and day by day. And even today, I have to be aware of, you know, 
there's drugs, drug abuse that runs in my family. So I have to be aware of my medication that I'm taking. Am I going, you know, I like wine, but am I going to wine and alcohol to numb my pain? Or is it something I can enjoy just casually or something like that? And not using this as a replacement for some type of therapy or counseling or my partner or using it as a crutch. So understanding the relationship I have with different medications, uh, different alcohol in different environments that I'm, in, that I'm in and making sure I'm intentional as possible about my circle around me in the environment so they can help me to be a better person and not take me back to uh, places that I don't want to go. And I love that your awareness with um, your family history and you're being intentional about why you're turning to the wine. Is it for relaxing? Is it for, you know, the crutch, the the numbing yourself? And and I kind of have a similar experience with that. Like my family uh, don't really have alcoholism in my family. It skipped a couple generations. I believe I have like some great grandparents that might have had alcohol issues. But, um, you know, my wife and I, we adopted two boys. Uh, and the case for went from temporary custody to permanent custody. The court date was January of last year. And I had been working in a gym up to that point. But then when COVID hit, um, I just had a feeling the gym I was working at was going to close. And so for a new year's resolution, I decided, you know what, we got the kid's court date and we got, you know, I'm not going to be really working out working or have as much accessibility to gym anymore. I'm not going to turn to alcohol as crutch. I want it out of my system. I'm going to step away from it. So as a new year's resolution last year, I gave up alcohol. And then as I came to, and, and it was a stressful year last year going from, you know, the court date then having to wait for appeals to find out the appeal process chance that the the oldest of the two boys could possibly go to grandma like it was it was a stressful year and i'm glad i took away the option of having alcohol as a crutch i just eliminated for myself and then what i found was you know there were some aspects of the being able to have a beer with my friends stuff like i missed but it was more the social aspect it wasn't the alcohol and i found there's been good replacements of um, non-alcoholic beers I can can get, and there's a lot of options out there for that. So, so definitely congratulations uh, on that. Yeah, that's I think that's just amazing, and just living as an example of you know for the kids and for your family of even as an adult, you know, if there's adjustments that need to be made in your life, you don't have to be stuck in that forever. Sometimes I feel like some of our addictions and things that we do, and sometimes the things that are negative in our lives, we just associate with who we are and it gets attached to who we are fundamentally and our principles. And I hear so many people who are maybe uh, dealing with something, dealing with an issue. And as just, they just, they say that's who they are. And mm -hmm. even my mom, you know, like she felt that, you know, abusing certain things or the type of person that she was in certain aspects, sometimes it was unhealthy, but she just identified this is a part of who I am. And I think that once we can disassociate ourselves from certain attributes, certain habits and things like that and say, I'm above that, you know, I'm <laughs> this is not just who I am. I'm above that. I think that's that's should be praiseworthy. And I definitely praise you for that. That's amazing. Well, thank you, man. I, I, I appreciate that greatly. Um, it's, you know, being a parent, which, you know, again, Alexis is is pregnant. And so you guys are going to have your first coming along soon and stuff you'll you'll find there's diff difficult times and and stuff that you know it, it sometimes makes you want to lean on the crutch but really when you can find something 
within yourself to just calm you down and steady yourself and not turn to the outside. Um, and if you're going to turn to anything outside, turn to your turn to your spouse, turn to your support team. That sounds like you have in place, which is is awesome. So um, I'm I'm happy for that for you. Definitely, yeah. Um, one thing that there was a, a section, and you kind of talked. This is kind of going back to the the normal uh, um, that you get from your parents normalization and redefining normal. And it was an excerpt that I kind of highlighted and. Um, it talks about our parents' voice becomes our inner voice. Think about how your parents spoke to you. Were they loving and caring or the opposite? Next, think about how you speak to yourself. Children internalize everything their parents tell them, especially how the parents choose to characterize them. A parent tells you that you were bad or stupid. That is a hard thing to shake in later life because we tend to live by miss our parents, our parents great, good or bad. And the other part that kind of went with that, and I think it was another thing, was like, um, when we do something bad, like we're told we're a bad kid and instead of like, or if we are all that, that I just read, but then with respect, like if your parents punish you and physically and abuse you, like, is it cause you're a bad kid or because they were a bad parent? So, so I think that was, uh, a, did that make sense? How I just run it together? Yeah. Yes. I'm trying to, trying to think. So, so, so I think what I'm getting to is like your your parents will tell you things and internalize and like so if you did something wrong, then um, they might punish you and and you know there's the whole culture now of like okay well we received spankings when we were kids and stuff like okay but some of the physicality that you know we hear about especially with the foster system it's a lot more than a spanking so taking the verbal abuse of, okay, you did this wrong, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're terrible. And then they take it to the next degree. They add the the physical, physicality of uh, punishment to it. And instead of speaking with a child and telling them what's wrong, giving them an example on how to handle the next time, they're creating that belief within the child of, I am, I'm a bad kid. I do bad things. That's just the way I am. Kind of like what you said, your mom used to describe versus, okay, it's a bad parent or this is what was normalized for the parent. It's from their generations growing up. And this is how they were taught and learned how to treat their kids. So, so where do you think that, um, that break comes in where, where you and Alexis were able to separate and redefine normal where you guys were able to look at, okay, this is what's been going on for generations in our family. This is how we were able to create that. Like, again, we talked about it being a process, but where do you think like it first hits you that, okay, I need to start making those smaller changes. Yeah. I think, uh, first it, it helped that unfortunately with me being, I'm the youngest of, of my five siblings. So, I lived in unhealthy environments for a long time, but I think uh, for my older siblings, some of these ideas became deeply ingrained into who they were uh, in, during their childhood, teenage years, and young adult years. For me, uh, I think a change in environment did help. It was extremely helpful and impactful, and not only just to change an environment, but also to change of ideas where 
I did start to internalize things where if my parents, if I did something good and my parents didn't validate me, then I thought it would be worthless. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't important. So then I, I was environ I was, had to change an environment where I did go to a group home setting. It's not me kind of advocating for group homes, but I was in a group home setting where it was funded by the church. I had many mentors and, and people who looked like me who were there for me to support me. And um, in that environment, it was all words of affirmation. It was kind of replacing the words that I heard for years. And the sense of worry that I had, I think that was one of the biggest things that I could say I received from my mom. She always had this sense of worry and anxiety and panic. And uh, that I think that was kind of passed down to me where if something went wrong, I would like completely snowball. And I talked about that in the book where if mm-hmm. I failed an exam or failed a test and I'm about to fail the whole class and I'm about to drop out and all these other things, just going from one to 100. So for me, I had to be surrounded by people who instead would give me words of affirmation and start to change my perspective of failures and accomplishments and the meaning of it in my life and the purpose of it all. So that's what kind of really helped me one little by little start to reshape my idea of my failures, the words being spoken, the, the power of life and death in our words and in our tongue. So that's really starts to kind of influence me to change my thinking little by little. Do you still use, um, do you use affirmations yourself or were you always uh, looking more for the external affirmations? I think that being in that environment, environment taught me about the importance of affirmations within myself and even the language that I use towards myself. It's extremely important that, you know, I started to change the way uh, I spoke about things and change the way that things that I say, even to other people, to myself, it was, it was extremely important. I started to do that. So every day I know the importance of words and, and things I have to say to myself and things I have to tell myself and, and telling myself certain things helps me to shape my mindset of what I think and feel about certain situations, things that's going on and things of that nature. So even if I'm in a situation that's uncomfortable, situation that I don't like, I always have to look at the brighter side of things and the light side of things and tell myself that, okay, I'm going to focus on what I can control and do my best of what I can control and allow my faith to kind of handle the rest that's out of my control. And then start to practice that each and every situation that I get in. And even though there will be hard situations that is, is terrible and seem like it's completely out of my control, try to train myself. And that's what our what our company does right now, trying to train other people in their mindset to focus on what you can control and doing your best with that, which will ultimately oftentimes allow for the best possible outcome to, to happen in sometimes an unfortunate situation. Absolutely. And and it is all about controlling the controllables. And, and there's times that while it is terrible that terrible things happen, um, you know, and, and, you know, I come from a Christian background as well. And I don't want to believe that like God creates bad things to teach us lessons, but like there are lessons and beauty in the things that happen to us and God can show us those beautiful things uh and and we can learn learn lessons from looking for god in those uh in those down times as well um especially if we if we are searching for for that so i wholeheartedly agree with that um now you were you were talking about um the power of of words and stuff uh words of life and death have you ever read uh nelson searcy's 
tongue pierced? Actually, I haven't. That's the, that's the first time I heard it is. It's you will love the book. It's it's definitely uh, got a lot of um, Bible uh, knowledge behind it, uh, the power of words. And I mean, you think about it, the world is created by God speaking words. Let there be light. You know, I mean, that's the first words that uttered everything into existence. But there's also a passage and I'm not going to remember the whole thing, but he talks about uh, the fact that you've never spoken a neutral word in your life. Your words can bring life or they can bring death. So how are you, are you speaking life into others or are you tearing them down and speaking death? So that's definitely one to add to your list. Again, it's called Tongue Pierced by you Nelson Spears. You oh, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I send you a link to that, man. That's, yeah, that's definitely. A, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, um, it's, you'll love it. Um, now back to your book. One of the things I loved about uh, your guys' book was how well you and Alexis blended your ex- different experiences and point of views, that being a white girl and a black boy, white woman, black man, um, into the same lessons. Like each chapter had a lesson, but you came from two different areas and brought it together. Do you attribute your ability to do that as a commonality of the foster experience? Or do you think it tells a bigger story in a country that seems to be trying to divide and separate everyone right now more and more that if we just took the time to look, we could find more common ground? Yeah, I think that's a great point that we didn't exactly uh, try to focus in on. But I think because the the main reason why actually... Actually, yeah, I would I would agree with that. That the main reason why it was kind of a back and forth thing is because we wanted to eventually have readers look at the subject matter of each chapter of worthiness and definition of love and so many other things, and eventually think about hmm, what, what was my definition of love when I was young? Who created it for me? Who created my sense of worthiness? And what were moments in my life where I felt worthless and why? So taking us out of the scenario and asking yourself that question. And as you ask yourself that question, you know, me and Alexis have a lot of overlap in our story. And then maybe you've had some overlap in that story and your your story. So everybody has everybody has their definition of love shaped by someone or something. And and it's unfortunate because when I do a lot of presentations with youth, with foster youth, a lot of them tell me that their definition of love is that it hurts and that's all they know Mm. and and it's sad and i always want to work to kind of change that and redefine that for them and my actions and and try to give them different you know put them in different situations uh, or help them be put in different situations that can change their definition of love and surround themselves themselves with those type of people so as you know myself and Alexis' story did overlap i think it does show the commonality of all of our experiences but as you look at the different titles of each chapter i think that everybody has moments of, everybody has a definition of love shaped by somebody everybody uh, may have had moments where they felt worthless or maybe they felt worthy and we want to ask you why we want your understanding around these different subject matters and you know and as you go through these ideas and these concepts between each chapter, understand who shaped it, why is it like that, and is it conducive for myself and following generations to come? Mm. Mm. And that's a question and concept that all of us have to deal with. Like, 
who taught us this? Why is it like this? And is it good for me? Is it good for just not only just me, but is it good for me? Is it good for my community? Is it good for my great, great, great grandchildren to have the same idea and concept? Yeah. And and again, I think it's, again, some commonality that we all look at um, because I, I can tell from reading your book and experiencing my life, like you and I had different upbringings by far, by far, like um it's not that there wasn't love in your family and it's not that you didn't have love from your parents um by any means but it was a different form of love and the thing i learned to experience with um love in my life is self-sacrifice and that's something that um you know Serving others is absolutely, you know, one of the things we're called to do, uh, but at the same time, not necessarily at the expense of ourself. And that's something that I've been having to to work on myself um, is to not be so self-sacrificing. And thankfully, I have a, a wonderful partner that helps uh, give me the opportunities to step away when when I'm overwhelmed um, and and also a good uh, connection with friends to be able to speak and, and, and uh, get some weight off my shoulders and then learning to kind of process those things myself. But um, again, it's one of those things where, okay, I have to teach my boys, um, you know, what love should look like to them and how much of the self-sacrificing am I teaching to them and how much is it more teaching them to be, polite and have manners and do things for others, but not at your own expense, because it's going to be a completely different world for them because they are two black boys being brought up by two white parents. So there's going to be things that they have to face that we, you know, neither my wife nor I, like even in us to have separate experiences growing up. Um, but we don't have the experiences that they're going to experience. So it's trying to make sure we're teaching them, the the values of love that they should have for other people and for themselves. Um, and yeah. it's, it's a challenge out of force, but it's something that we're absolutely up for, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point to make. And one of the things is that we always try to teach kids and people in general, even adults and especially the advocates, because there's so much burnout in the space, like child welfare, working with youth who've experienced trauma. Well, one thing we try to tell is, is concept, you know, in scripture that tells us that, we need to love others as we love ourselves. But the first, the second part of that is a lot of us don't even know how to love ourselves. So we're giving a, we're giving away a version of love that is not true or authentic, one that we're not doing for ourselves. So we try to tra- train and teach people how to love themselves in order to love other people. Because if we're in an abusive relationship, if we are a part of something or attached to something where it's not mutual, and, and again, if all relationships, you know, I heard this the other day from, from a friend of mine's parents, you know, relationships aren't always 50-50. Sometimes it's 75-25. Sometimes it's 90-10 or whatever mm. it may be. But, you know, making sure that you, there is mutual support and love and respect in there. And it's not just all one-sided because if you're in a relationship where it's a romantic, friendship, professional, whatever it is, and there's love on one side but not love on the other side, then that's an abusive relationship. 
and making mm. sure that you're you know how to define love for yourself. So when you can t- tell people and teach people how to love you properly. And, you know, that can go down to things like love languages or respect for yourself. And, you know, even when we say our family affirmations to our baby who isn't, you know, we haven't given birth to yet. We always, you know, say, <laughs> I want you to respect others just as you would respect yourself and love others just as you would love yourself. So something we always try to practice and one thing that we want to pass down to our child. I love that you're speaking those affirmations to the baby already. That's that's awesome. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, now, speaking of, of love, uh, a little bit about your love story in the book and and I don't want to embarrass you with this part at all, but um, you talked a lot in the book about the societal pressure as a guy to, to hook up with lots of girls in college and even admitted that's what you wanted to do. Um, but yet when you met Alexis, it seemed like something changed all that. Uh, there was like a, a more of a, a tender side that came out of you and that not to say that the tender side wasn't there before, but something changed that goal of trying to hook up with as many girls as possible. Um, to what do you attribute the strength to redefine normal in that sense? Yeah, of course. I think that I talk a, a bit about it in a book where, and you're not embarrassing me at all. I love to talk about any and everything in a book. So there is like this societal influence that, you know, I think as I became a young man, still trying to understand what manhood meant and understand the definition and the idea of it. And, you know, I, I think right after that first chapter, I go back to my childhood and what it meant as a child for me to exercise my manhood. And that meant, you know, all the other men older than me and around me sleeping with a bunch of women. So mm-hmm. in order for me to be like them, which I thought was the image of a man, I had to do that as well. And entering into my college years, I thought that in order to express myself as a young man and develop myself in that way, that's what I had to do. And, you know, being able to exercise that is what I thought. But meeting Alexis, I think that deep down I knew, you know, I I believe that because we are all uh, image bearers and we are all made in the image of God, a lot of times when we're doing things that are wrong, you know, we, we can feel it in us. You know, sometimes, a lot of times we can feel it in us if something is wrong, uh, if something's not right. And I feel like in that moment, entering into college while I was trying to do things and mess with a bunch of girls and talk to a bunch of girls, I think that I was doing things that were my my spirit was kind of against. And I, I wanted to, to dive to that, to just forget about it and just say, this is what I'm going to do instead. But when I met Alexis, it was kind of a reminder because of the authenticity in our conversation of who she was and who I really needed to be for myself. I think it was kind of a reminder of, oh, you know, this is truly who I am or who I need to be. And uh, with me being an unauthentic version of myself, uh, I'm probably going to lose somebody that or, or hurt somebody that I truly care about. And it's kind of like a wake up, you know, wake up, you know, you're about to mess something up uh, for yourself. So I think it was a wake up call meeting Alexis and helping me avoid it, it was a decision on my end I needed to make, but it was something that really helped me to make that decision. To I had to I had to do in order to exer- exercise my true authenticity and who I really was, and not trying to be this quote unquote ladies man that I thought I wanted to be and needed to be. So, 
And after you started identifying your more authentic self uh, with the help of Lexus, um, how much uh, you spoke about a little bit in the book, but um, how much like kind of uh, teasing, harassing um, blowback did you get from your brothers and, and friends and stuff that you were like, you know what? I'm, that's not me. That's not the life I'm about. Like, I'm like, this is, this is who I am. This is who I was meant to be all along. Like, how did that process go for you? Um, being able to transform into yourself and, and, um, you know, kind of step away from those pressures of your, yeah. of your fam, your friends and your family. Cause I, I, I know you did speak in the book about, um, the holidays just not being, for you is as fun going back home anymore because of the the environment that you're going back to. Yeah. Yeah. I think in culture and society in general, unfortunately being with one person long-term, not only does, is it frowned upon, but it seems impossible. And for me to be taking that route, especially so young, me and Alexis met at when I was 19. And for me being able to take that route so young, when, Society and culture in general tells you to explore your, you know, explore sexually and test test the waters and test out everything out there. For me to be exploring and doing this with one person, taking, I feel like almost like a non-traditional route nowadays and yeah. being with one person and pursuing them and learning more about them and even learning more about yourself. I think that was a, a sense of discipline that wasn't understood by some of my family. And was, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but it wasn't as supported and accepted as easily. Uh, so, so yeah, I did for my brothers and friends kind of like, is this sure what you want to do or not? That's, that's a lame way of thinking about it. Some judgment. And I, because I do have grace and mercy for a lot of people, I probably forgot about a lot of the slander that I received trying to be one person, especially being that she, she is white. So uh, that being something that's even deeper that we talk about in the book, but I think that more and more I started to uh, uh, learn more about myself, learn more about uh, being disciplined, how I could be disciplined, the benefits of it, and just my my mental, spiritual, and emotional growth throughout this journey. It started to become the the criticism or whatever started to become more and more silent, and it started to ignore it even more because of the benefits and how much I how much better I felt as I started to grow and mature in those ways. Awesome. Um, and I kind of hinted at it a little bit there. Um, so we'll dive into it obviously. And unfortunately you two have to face different prejudices being a biracial couple. Um, you even talked about the experience you had with your engagement announcement in the book. Um, what are some of the ways you've been able to handle the things said or the looks that you've been given throughout um, your relationship and, and now and, and how do you think you're going to um, handle, you know, having a biracial baby and, and some of the things that will be said to you? Because, again, in your book, you alluded to the fact that um, one of the ways that you felt you had to be a man was you had to have a sense of physicality, the the fights you would get into and, and being kind of someone that people turn to, to uh, be a little more physical um, to get things done. Yeah, of course. So I think that 
being a follower of God gives so much perspective and understanding of different situations. So as it relates to being in a uh, interracial marriage, I feel like so you have to you have to understand that your foundation of who you are fundamentally. And I it's not that I'm just dating somebody outside my race, but being that I know who they are personally and fundamentally and that they will support me, they will die for me and I will do the same for them. And they're not just accepting me who I am on the inside, but also who I am on the outside. So they know I'm I'm black. They know what I support, who I am. And there I needed somebody who was just intentional about that. But more uh, above just who we are and, you know, physically, I needed someone who can dig deep spiritually. I think sometimes, you know, of course, there can be barriers with race relations. But I think who you are spiritually is deeper than anything who we are externally or on the outside and being that she was someone who was mature who could grow who was uh, smart and amazing and who was really uh, uh you know a spiritually sound person and, and continue to grow in that area it's something i definitely want to be a part of and invest in in a romantic relationship so i i knew that it was important for me to attach to that because that's the most important thing beyond just the racial barriers who, who she was spiritually and mentally was probably one of the most important aspects of our relationship. So with that being said, having that as our foundation and raising our child on that, you know, that yes, there will be differences, there will be uh, hardships in your life, there will be things that you'll go through. But number one, and most importantly, because, you know, uh, you know, you may receive love and hate from black people, you may receive love and hate from white people, but what does God say? And when God created us, he said we were good. Mm. And teaching my child the truth of it all, because the world's going to say your hair is this, your hair is that, your skin is this, your skin is that. But God said when he created us, he said it was good. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, black hair is is tough or is bad or it's this or is that. But when God created us, he said it was good. So if God, my creator said it was good. Then how can any human being tell me otherwise? You know, that's the foundation I want to raise my child on. Oh, man, I love that. I I got a hoodie on, but I got goosebumps right now. That was beautiful. Oh, um, now you recently on your podcast, you had uh, Angela Kijada Banks, uh, author of the Black Foster Youth Handbook. And um, I know I'm in the process of reading her book right now, but I know she, one of the things that she talks about in hers is to um, take pride in in your heritage, your, your racial heritage, and finding out like, you know, okay, there's... Um, for how many countries within Africa um, and all the different uh, dialects and everything that were there. Um, and so you'll see like as um, interfaith couples get married, like you might have a Jewish person and a, and a Christian person get married or um, different things. Like they still, a lot of those couples will still recognize and, and celebrate both sides of that faith and, and what you're saying now with making sure that your child knows that they were created in God's image and that they were good. Um, is that going to what, uh, Angela said in her book about, um, about respecting and, and teaching, you know, your heritage to your son, is that something that you're looking at doing as well? Cause that's, for again, for a white couple with black kids, like, you know, we're wanting to make sure that, you know, we respect 
all parts of their heritage and that, that we're teaching them every bit of their life, not just, okay, you were born, you went into foster care and we adopted you, but no, like where their family heritage and, and before they were slaves, their ancestors were slaves in the U S like, okay, where does their heritage really come from? We wanted to teach them and celebrate that. So, um, how do you see that kind of working with, with you and Alexis, or is it still more about the, the faith being the, the overall encompassing umbrella? And then from there, just kind of go as life leads you with, with raising your child. Yeah. So the faith is the foundation of it all is because the, and it's important, I believe to have that faith as your foundation, because in the beginning, God said we are made in his image. And mm-hmm. as much, you know, I want to, I'm having a daughter and as much as I want to, you know, uh, uh, boost. And I think there's a term called racialist theme as much as I want to boost that and contribute to that. And I I think I will teach about heritage and, you know, how far African heritage, especially in West Africa goes beyond just enslavement. As much as I want to teach about that, the foundation of it all has to be that you are made in the image of God and there is no higher, uh, uh, compliment or anything that I can give you that you are made in the image of your creator. So Mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing. But also, as it relates to history, uh, you know, your racialist theme being that, you know, I think for a lot of black people and black kids, we teach them that your history started as slavery. And if you teach people and kids that your history started with slavery, then that's kind of kind of becomes your beginning. (laughs) Yeah. You can imagine if you teach a kid that your beginning started with slavery, your beginning started with white people. You can just imagine how you're, you know you feel about yourself. So, uh, you know, starting with the faith that you are made in the beginning, you are made in the image of God. But beyond that, you know, here is just some of your history in West Africa and history, you know, in wherever you're from is is important. How you got to this point is extremely important. So uh, I think bringing a full circle is extremely important. So and not being biased uh, as far as, you know, like I said, you know, you here's where your history started in the U.S., but going deeper and deeper and deeper and uh, starting with faith being the first thing and the foundation of it all. Absolutely. And even for for white people to to think about, too, and stuff when it comes to uh, our heritage, where it came from. I mean, I can't tell you how many you know white friends I have and stuff like that. They trace their ancestry to. Italy to Ireland to Germany and stuff. And so they celebrate those holidays and, and yet like, you know, we're, there's a, the idea that they're trying to teach, like I said, black people that they started in the U S as slaves. Like, no, like there's, if you're going to take pride in your heritage then like, then it's extremely important that like, you know, that black people, Hispanic people, whatever, you know, different racial background you come from that you are able to recognize and celebrate that as well. I, I definitely I agree with that. And, and Angela Kishada Banks saying that in, in her book. And that's something that I was, I'm just so glad like reading uh, your, your book and her book and that it's not just to help serve this podcast, but to help serve me as a parent. And I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I love that you're kind of getting both of those put together. That's amazing. Thank you. 
Um, now, I feel like Alexis and my wife would get along wonderfully um, as she was able to find opportunities for her scholarships and grants to study abroad a lot of the times. Um, and I think from her ability to do that, to find those scholarships, the two of you turn that skill into a company called the Scholarship Expert. What can you explain to us what the, what the Scholarship Expert is? Yeah, so the scholarship expert is something that Alexis started actually, I think, a year or so before we met. And it's something that we wanted to support people with finding and applying for scholarships for. Um, it's kind of discontinued right now. <laughs> yeah. Kind of discontinued right now, but we still have resources available at the scholarshipexpert.com and want to continue to um, teach people how to find and apply for scholarships. And I was fortunate enough to graduate there free. So that's been amazing. But wanted to uh, just just be of support with trying to find help people find different resources and outlets to contribute to their education overall. Yeah, because, um, you know, so many people are just always crippled with student loans and, and you know, whatever the government works out with student loan forgiveness and all that stuff going on. I mean, that's, well, that's for them to debate, but the, the fact that you guys have been able to find resources and help track resources for people to graduate debt-free, um, especially assisting, you know, with, with the work you guys do with foster youth and people that are aging out of the foster system, helping them find, uh, grants and scholarships where they're able to, um, start turning those percentages the other way because of the, the numbers of foster, uh, foster alumni that graduate college and, and, you know, really thrive is is unfortunately that the numbers are a lot worse than and people realize um the other thing i would say is you again you've been advocates and speakers uh you've you know talked about the fact that you've been doing a lot with uh speaking with foster youth uh you formed the rose empowerment group uh what can you tell us about that and the, yeah, what so the acronym acronym rose is yeah, ROSE stands for Rising Over Societal Expectations, and it is actually uh, the ROSE from Concrete podcast is where we mainly what we mainly do with ROSE. And um, it, I don't know if you ever heard the Tupac Shakur poem, but you can look that I up. I got the book. I love it. I, yeah, was, yeah. I was a big Tupac fan back in the day. So Yeah, so you can look that up to understand the full meaning of ROSE from Concrete and just uh, trying to spark conversations around uh, different methods and techniques. I'm, I'm very action oriented and not talking just story, but actions and ideas of how we can support other people and be intentional about that. So uh, that's that's uh, with that podcast, what we usually do with, with Rose. And um, yeah, just being focused on trying to provide strategies and techniques on, on how other people can be a Rose that grows from concrete and be successful whenever feel that they're in even education, academics, business, whatever it may be. Um, and th that's something that you had originally started yourself that rose from concrete and, and it was all, uh, again, that was founded or based off the idea from that Tupac book, correct? The poem. Yeah. So it's a quote that we use in our book in that is just a concept that's kind of been reoccurring in my life. People have said to me, and I wanted to make it a theme or an idea, put invite other people to be a part of that conversation as well. Right. Um, and if there's anything else I'm missing that uh, you guys with re redefining normal with that company, what what else could you say that redefining normal 
uh, what you guys are about? So in to, to kind of summarize, redefine normal, it's all about identifying uh, how trauma becomes normalized in families, communities, and society, and how to instead create generational success. So identifying generational trauma and then creating generational success, talking about the strategies, the techniques, the ideas of it all, and how we can be intentional as possible in our daily and weekly practices, you know, doing workshops, trainings, speeches, doing it all, trying to be super intentional, uh, minute by minute, hour by hour, with our actions, thoughts, and behaviors, how we can contribute to our legacy and generational success. Awesome. And um, the fact that you talked about you have been doing affirmations with your baby uh, and, you know, still unborn baby that's in Alexis's belly. Um, you also have started a redefining fatherhood uh, video series on YouTube. Um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. So we're redefining fatherhood, um, trying to just talk about our experiences. And I should, I've definitely been slacking on putting out more videos, but trying to talk about our experiences as it relates to what fathers can do to be involved, even during pregnancy, what I'm doing now, doing the, the research, the videos, trying to support my partner, stretching, food, whatever it may be. What can I do to be an intentional partner in raising this baby and being a part of my uh, the process in general? Because I'm not feeling the pain and carrying the baby. So what can I do to be involved in supporting my partner through the process and not only just being a biological dad, but being a father to my child? Mm, I love that. One thing also I did want to mention is that uh, in the upcoming weeks and months, uh, just a few things I want to throw out there. So we are uh, this month in July 2022, we're preparing to release our faith-based companion guide. Now we have a companion guide where we take our lives out of the story of Redefining Normal and allow you to put your story and conversations and activities uh, in a book where we challenge you with different questions and scenarios. And this July, we're releasing our faith-based companion guide where we're basically doing the same thing but more of a faith-based perspective and challenging you uh, to not only just reflect on your trauma and insecurities, but how you can use what you learn and apply that as a community, as a church, to support individuals, families, and communities to grow and develop and change their lens from a trauma-based lens to a faith-based or just developing growth uh, lens overall. Oh, wow. That sounds like an amazing project. That's awesome. And, and, uh, the last thing, too, is that this fall we are preparing to release our uh, children's book as well. So preparing for that also. And um, don't want to give out the exact name yet, but uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. It goes with, along with the Redefining Normal theme, and it's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, I'm very excited for that, too. I, I was That was going to be my next question that came back to me. Um, was that you said you wanted to identify yourself more as an author, and I was going to ask if you have more books uh on the way stuff like that so it sounds like you have the companion guide you got a children's book um or either one of you the artist for the children's book or did you bring someone else in Nah, we want to try to i'm always try about getting other people involved so trying to get other artists and other people involved with the editing i, I always feel like these projects are group uh and community projects so trying to get people to look at the script get their input 
get their ideas involved. Uh, if there are illustrators out there, get them involved as well. Um, different people involved in these projects and get their perspective and their input to try to uh, see how we can get a full circle perspective as we put these projects out. So trying to get as many people involved as possible. Nice. Now, uh, okay, speaking of group projects then, um, say Redefine Normal, it's already an amazing book and I, I believe it's tracking pretty well, doing really well. When it gets turned into a movie, who plays Justin and who plays Alexis? Oh man, <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. Oh man, um, that's a hard one. Who, who's going to play me? I don't know. <laughs> I, what, what young, what, Denzel's getting a little old, so it's going to be I was about to say Denzel. Oh, yeah, <laughs> get somebody that look way better than me and is in fit and in shape. I want to get like Michael B. Jordan play the adult me. Or like there we go. Okay. Yeah, okay, Michael B. Jordan. Actors that look better than me and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no, nah, I, I do. I can't see this as a Netflix series for sure. So if you oh, got yeah. any Hollywood connects, you know, let's talk. <laughs> And hey, anyone listening, you know, definitely get this on for Netflix. You will not regret it. It's uh, uh -huh. definitely a, be a, be a top viewed. So, um, and then the other question, if it were to be made into a movie, I know on your podcast, um, you've talked, you've usually asked uh, your guest, what is a song that really is like kind of helps them like shift focus or really rise above societal expectations. So that being the idea of re redefine normal, I know you and Alexis both kind of have your songs that you turn to. Is there like a song, like if you could share what those songs are that you and Alexis turn to, and then if there's like something newer that you turn to um, that you think would fit the soundtrack for uh, the movie redefine normal, or is there who would your dream producer be to work on the soundtrack for redefining normal oh man you ask some deep questions i think <laughs> one of alexis favorite songs that she even put in the book is imagine me by kurt franklin so that's something that's that's huge i know she would like to be in there um for me you know i i just like uh i've been listening to a lot of maverick city music so i will like you know a bunch of their songs sprinkled throughout there but uh a mixture of you know a lot of gospel and maybe some provoking rap and things like that. I can't say who or what producer, but probably a mixture of those things and um, different seasons in my life. I have different soundtracks going on. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the different seasons of life. Uh, it's, and it's amazing when you find that, you know, old mix CD or, or, or just even going through those uh, iPod or no, iTunes or Amazon suggestions and stuff for you. it's like oh i forgot all about that person like okay okay uh and so for um our adoption day for our boys i i made uh i made two slideshows i made like my original one was like 12 minutes long and then i had my wife's like that's too long no one's gonna watch that so i shortened it to like six minutes long and one of the songs that um every time it comes on my like the radio, my boys just like just love it. And start singing. It's uh, "Together" by For King and Country with uh, Kirk Franklin and uh, Tori Kelly, and they just love the song. And that there has such go. deep meaning for us too. And stuff. so it's. No, I love it. I love it. It's amazing. But, 
So I think if we had a, a movie about us and stuff, I think that one would be definitely in there for uh, mm-hmm. country. So, um, Justin, where can people find out more about you, about redefining normal, about Rose from concrete, uh, all the things like drop, uh, you know, any handles, websites, whatever you got for us. Yeah, of course. Of course. So if you want to email us for any, uh, speaking engagements, workshops, Anything Redefining Normal related, contact us at info at re-definingnormal.com. Our website is re.definingnormal.com, where you can find the podcast, roll some concrete, uh, some cool merchandise, uh, the book itself, other books, companion guides. That's where you'll be able to find a children's book coming up. Um, that's where you'll also be able to join our email list for updates on where we'll be around the country, other projects that are coming up free information on where we can, how and where we can support you and just continuing to build relationships. So follow us on Facebook at Redefining Normal Movement. Um, TikTok, yep, we're on TikTok. So follow <laughs> us on there. TikTok and Instagram is re.definingnormal. And let's just stay connected and follow us and subscribe to our YouTube at Redefining Normal also for the, the daddy vlogs. Awesome. And one last thing is, uh, I, I did see when I was uh, getting ready for the, for the podcast that, um, redefine normal is available on audible. Did you guys read it or did they hire someone else to read it? We hired us to read the audio book. So you'll get our voices, um, our emotions, our raw, authentic emotions during that time. Uh, so grab the audio book as well, which you can find on Amazon or we'll uh, get it through our website as well. So. All right. Well, Justin, I don't want to keep any longer. I appreciate all your time and uh, just thank you so much for being here. Everyone else, just thank you for tuning in. Definitely check out their book. Amazing. Like I said, all those things I mentioned before, uh, you know, heart wrenching, but necessary and hopeful, inspiring. Uh, And just know whatever your family looks like, whatever love looks like to you, you're born into your name, but we become family by heart.